Well, a very happy New Year's to you. What a great way for us to be able to begin the new year uh, by worshiping together, by being able to sing and, and pray and open God's Word together. And so I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Lamentation. And we're going to Lamentations, and we're going to begin to, to spend uh, three weeks going through an overview of the book of, of Lamentations. And uh, just want to thank you for, for coming this morning. Special welcome to those of you who are visiting with us this morning. I've met several uh, new people and, and uh, families who are visiting from out of town or different places. And so just want to encourage our, our regular folks to, to be sure to be mindful of those around you who may be new. Be sure to, to uh, uh, reach out to those who may be standing by themselves. You know, we've all visited churches and sometimes it can be a little hard to to get to know people, especially when we're all so excited to see each other. We start talking and don't realize, oh, there's some, there's some new people around us. So be, just be mindful of that. And, and if you're new, we'd love to get to talk to you today. Uh, we often just talk for a little while in the, the foyer. So uh, I'd love to get to meet you. Uh, so thanks so much for visiting, especially welcome to those of you from uh, Rome Baptist Church who are beginning to worship with us. Uh, it's a great joy to be able to, to have you here. Uh, this morning and in the future mornings. Looking forward to continuing to worship the Lord with you over these coming months. We're here in Lamentations, and let me just say a couple word about, words about the book of Lamentations. Lamentations, we believe, was written by the prophet Jeremiah, and it was written by the prophet Jeremiah after the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. And uh, some of you may say, well, Daniel, Give me a little context. 586 B.C. does not really mean a lot to me. Where does this take place in kind of the history of the story of the Bible? Well, think about it this way. We are in the book of Samuel, and the events that we're studying right now in the book of Samuel took place in about 1050 B.C. And David is going to become king around 1000 B.C. David's going to be king of Israel and then in 930 B.C., after his son Solomon is also king, the, the kingdom of Israel is going to divide into two separate kingdoms, the northern kingdom, also called Israel, and the southern kingdom, called Judah. That's going to take place in 930 B.C.-ish. Okay? And then uh, both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom are not going to walk in obedience to God. The northern kingdom is going to be especially wicked. And as we read the minor prophets and a lot of the prophetic literature, the, the, the prophecy books in the Old Testament, we see the prophets speaking against the, either the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom or both. The wickedness of the northern kingdom is going to be so great that in 722 B.C., the Assyrian Empire is going to come and carry the northern kingdom away into captivity. The southern kingdom is going to continue for a little bit longer, and then in 586 B.C., the southern kingdom is going to be uh, destroyed here by the Babylonian army. And so that brings us to Lamentations. And here in Lamentations, we see the prophet Jeremiah lamenting, having this, this outpouring of sorrow over what's taken place as the city of Jerusalem has been destroyed 
by the Babylonians. And so we're going to read, we're going to kind of look at chapters 1 and 2 this morning, really chapter 1. We're going to read chapter 1 together. And so if you would stand with me in honor of God as we read his word together. Verse 1, how lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow has she become. She who was great among the nations, she who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard servitude. She dwells now among the nations, but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn, for none come to the festival. All her gates are desolate. Her priests groan, her virgins have been afflicted, and she herself suffers bitterly. Her foes have become her head, have become the head. Her enemies prosper because the Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone away, captives before the foe. From the daughter of Zion, all her majesty has departed. Her princes have become like deer that find no pasture. They fled without strength before the pursuer. Jerusalem remembers in the days of her affliction and wondering all the precious things that were hers from days of old. When her people fell into the hand of the foe and there was none to help her, her foes gloated over her. They mocked at her downfall. Jerusalem sinned grievously. Therefore, she, has become, she became filthy. All who honored her despise her, for they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turns her face away. Her uncleanness was in her skirts. She, thought, she took no thought of her future. Therefore, her fall is terrible. She has no comforter. O oh Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. The enemy has stretched out his hands over her precious things. She has seen the nations enter her sanctuary, those whom you forbade to enter your congregation. All her people groan as they search for bread. They trade their treasures for food to revive their strength. Look, O Lord, and see, for I am despised. Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Look and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow, which was brought upon me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger. From on high he sent fire, into my bones he made it descend. He spread a net for my feet, and he turned me back. He has left me stunned, faint all the day long. My transgressions were bound into a yoke. By his hand they were fastened together. They were set upon my neck. He caused my strength to fail. The Lord gave me into the hands of those whom I cannot withstand. The Lord rejected all my mighty men in my midst, he summoned an assembly against me to crush my young men. The Lord has trodden as in a winepress the virgin daughter of Judah. For these things I weep. My eyes flow with tears, for a comforter is far from me, one to revive my spirit. My children are desolate, for the enemy has prevailed. Zion stretches out her hands, but there is none to comfort her. The Lord has commanded against Jacob that his neighbors should be his foes. Jerusalem has become a filthy thing among them. The Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word. 
But hear all you peoples and see my suffering. My young women and my young men have gone into captivity. I called to my lovers, but they deceived me. My priests and elders perished in the city while they sought food to revive their strength. Look, O Lord, for I am in distress. My stomach churns. My heart is wrung within me because I have been very rebellious. In the street, the sword bereaves. In the house, it is like death. They heard my groaning, yet there is no one to comfort me. All my enemies have heard of my trouble. They are glad that you have done it. You have brought the day you announced. Let them be as I am. Let all their evil doing come before you and deal with them as you have dealt with me because of all my transgressions. For my groans are many and my heart is faint. You may be seated. I hear a lot of you clearing your throat. Like, come on, get it out. We'll see how it goes. Sorry. Father, we are grateful for your word. Lord, what a, a great time of worship it's been. And we would just ask that you would continue to allow us to enjoy being with you and your people. We pray that you would help us to begin this new year mindful of your great love for us and to turn to you with, with a desire to honor and glorify you with all aspects of our lives. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. There are a lot of different traditions that people have to, to start the new year. Heard about a, a Scottish tradition called first footing. That's this idea that the, the first person who steps foot in your house will give you kind of an indication of how the year is to go. And it's, it's said that a, a dark-haired person coming into your house is better than a a lighter-haired person. So if you want me to come over today for a small fee, step foot in your home. There's also a tradition I've heard in Spain where you start eating grapes at the first gong of, the, of, the, of midnight, and then your, your goal is to have eaten 12 grapes by the time the 12th gong gongs or whatever. And so that's in Spain. In, in Dan- a Danish tradition is to, to, to jump off a chair I guess. Uh, In my neighborhood, there's a tradition, tradition, apparently, I learned last night, to open your front door and just start screaming. That's (laughs) what my neighbors decided to do uh, somewhere in the neighborhood last night. Well, I'm I'm suggesting that we begin our new year as a church with lament, with lament. Lament is an outpouring of sorrow. You say, well, why? Why would we begin with lament? Why would we spend the first three weeks of 2023 doing an overview of lamentations? Well, first of all, lament is an, is an important part of God's special revelation. I mentioned before a book by Mark Vrogop called Deep, uh, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. And in it, uh, Vrogop argues that a third of the Psalms are Psalms of lament, or at least contain elements of lament in them outpouring of, of sorrow. And if the Psalms were a template for the people of God as, as they worshiped him, then lament needs to be an important part of, of our worship as well. And maybe this morning, God in his wisdom knows that some of us need to lament. Some of you are in a time of sorrow. Maybe you're in a season of life where lament would be helpful. In my study, 
there's a, a, a print of a painting by the artist Rembrandt. It's called The Prophet Jeremiah Lamenting the Destruction of Jerusalem. And it's a, it's a painting about the time that we're studying over these three weeks. Maybe you've, you've seen the print before, but in the background, there's the, the city of Jerusalem, the temple's on fire. And in the, the foreground, there's the prophet Jeremiah. And, and grief is just, just pouring off the page as you look at this, this painting. There's Jeremiah, and as his eyes are, are downcast, and he's, he's seated, and his, his, his head is in his left hand, and he's just, just so sorrowful. And, and his arm, though, is, is resting on a Bible, on Scripture. It's as if Rembrandt is saying that, that Jeremiah's grief is, is profound, and yet he's, he's resting upon the promises of God. I, I found that picture very encouraging. I bought it when I was in a, a time of, of discouragement in ministry many years ago. And it's, it's encouraging. Reading Jeremiah and Lamentations helped me rightly understand my own sorrow and, and turn it to God, and, and that's what lament does. It helps us take our grief and, and rest it upon the, the promises of God. And Rogop argues in, in his, his book that there are certain elements of, of lament we see over and over again. We see in lament, we, we see a, a crying out to God. We see a, a complaint that's made, a request that's made of God, and then finally trust in God. And that's what we'll be thinking about over these, over these weeks. And maybe, there's, there's, maybe this morning you say, well, I'm not suffering. I'm not in a period of lament. But others in the room are. And part of our responsibility as believers is to weep with those who weep, to let them know that we're aware of their sorrow. And so we'll be doing that this morning as well. So let's look at chapters 1 and 2, specifically chapter 1. And chapters 1 and 2 are actually very similar. They both begin with a Hebrew word that means how. How. It's, it's the word aka or ke. It means, it means how. Like, how are these things happening this way? How did things get to the point that they are? Jeremiah is, is looking at the destruction that's taken place. He's, he's surveying the, the damage that's been done and the profound grief that he feels, and he's, he's saying, how could this have happened? How, how did things get to the point that, that they are right now? And there's something else that's, that's kind of interesting about chapters 1 and 2 of Lamentations. They form an acrostic. So chapter 1, verse 1, begins with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So the Hebrew alphabet is Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalet, He, Vav, Zion, so on until you get to Tav, the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so verse 1 begins with the Hebrew letter Aleph, verse 2, Bet, verse 3, Gimel, and so forth until you get to the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. You say, well, why does he do that? He does it in chapter 1, and then he does it in, in chapter 2. You say, why does Jeremiah do that? I, I think he's saying this. He's trying to explore the the, the, the completeness, the totality of the destruction that he sees. And he's trying to explore the, the totality of his grief. It's like he says, okay, I'm going to go from the beginning of the alphabet to the end of the alphabet and, and talk about how sorrowful I am, and then I'm going to do it again in the next chapter. This next lament, his grief is profound. 
And then he ends in, in chapter 2. He comes to the end of chapter 2 and he says, Look, O Lord, and see with whom have you dealt thus. Should women eat the fruit of their womb, the children of their tender care, should priest and prophet be killed in the sanctuary of the Lord? In the dust of the streets lie the young and the old. My young women and my young men have fallen by the sword. You have killed them in the day of your anger, slaughtering without pity. You summoned as if to a, a festival day my terrors on every side. And on the day of the anger of the Lord, no one escaped or survived. Those whom I held and raised, my enemy destroyed. The destruction that Jeremiah sees and the sorrow that, that he feels as he looks at what's taken place is beyond his ability to process. He goes through the alphabet, describing what he's seeing. And then he goes through the alphabet again, describing what he's seeing. Then we'll come to chapter 3. We'll see he does it three times in chapter 3. Here's the main idea that I want us to think about as we think about what's happening in chapters 1 and 2. Lament helps us comprehend the horror of sin so we can turn to God in repentance. Lament, there, there's many things lament do, does, but one of the things that lament does is that it helps us comprehend the horror of sin. The, the things that Jeremiah is going to see, that the consequences of sin bring him to his knees. And one of the things that lament helps us do is it helps us explore the horrors of sin, to describe the horrors of sin and, and describe the, the horrors of, of the effects of sin so that we can be driven to turn to God in repentance. And so what we're going to do as we look at chapter 1 is kind of an example of what's happening in chapters 1 and 2 is we're first of all going to talk about the sorrowful circumstances. We're going to, to see what's taken place in Jerusalem. And then we're going to, to talk about the origins, the, the offensive origins of this sin. And then we're going to talk about the response of repentance. So let's first of all, let's talk about the sorrowful circumstances of Jerusalem in verses 1 through 7. This is the complaint that Jeremiah makes. Now, this isn't the sin of grumbling. He's not grumbling. It's a God-centered complaint. And again, he's using this acrostic to describe the depths of his pain. And what I want to do, I want to walk through these first seven verses. And as we do, we'll notice that there are some, some categories of sorrow that Jeremiah is identifying. There are kind of seven sources of sorrow that he notices, that he describes. And we're going to go through these. And the purpose isn't just to, to wallow in, in feeling bad this morning. But I want us to, to consider these seven sources of sorrow these sorrowful circumstances, and, and, and maybe these are some things that resonate with you this morning. The, the first source of sorrow we see in verse 1. Look at verse 1. The verse 1 we see reversal. Reversal is one of the sources of sorrow. Again, he, he begins with the word how. how. How lonely sits the sea that was full of people. How like a widow has she become, she who was great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. There's reversal there. The city 
was great, and now it's lonely. Was it was like a princess, and now it's like a slave. That's another one of the sources of sorrow. And the reality, of course, is that life is full of reversal. One minute things are going well, the next moment things aren't going quite so well. Maybe you heard the story in November. One Monday morning, November 7th, Sam Bankman-Fried, the founder and and, uh, CEO of the cryptocurrency exchange FTX, he woke up worth $16 billion. And by the time he went to bed, he was worth nothing or just hundreds of thousands of dollars, not billions of dollars, right? And the reality is that life is full of reversals for many of us. And not all the reversals are financial. Some of you may be hurting this morning from other types of reversals. Things were going so well until suddenly they weren't. You were on this, this career that was going so well until suddenly it wasn't going so well. Your popularity was going so well until suddenly it wasn't. Your health was going so well until suddenly it wasn't. Your family was going so well until suddenly it wasn't. We all know what reversal is like. And some of you this morning, your, your sorrow comes from reversal, from a period of reversal. Verse 2, we see that another source of sorrow is betrayal. Jeremiah says that Jerusalem, the city, weeps bitterly. There's tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They've become her enemies. It's going to be great five minutes after the sermon is done. The second source is betrayal. She she cries out to her lovers for their comfort, but her friends have become her enemies. And many of you know what betrayal of a friend is like. Someone that you love, that you're close to, does something that's, that's horrendous. And, and there's, there's shock because how could this person do that to you? Several years ago, I was, I was visiting a family. And I was walking up to the, to, the, to the house just to kind of check on this family. And the, the mom and her three-year-old, four-year-old daughter were in the yard. And the mom had been doing some gardening. And she, was, she was over here uh, washing off the gardening tools. It was a, a little bit of a brisk morning. And she was facing this way. And her daughter was over here kind of playing in, in the dirt, and, and she was not, not really facing her mom and just kind of having a grand old time. And, and I'm, I'm walking up this direction, and the mom, as, as she is, is washing off the, the tools, kind of uh, turns, turns and, and she keeps the hose on, 
and she just kind of turns the hose like that, and, and the little girl, I'm watching this whole thing, and the little girl just suddenly feels the, the, the full pressure of this, this water on, on her back, and she, she can't even let out a, a sound at first. She's just, just, just shocked terror of this, this cold water all over. She's soaked instantly. And then finally she lets out this, this scream and, the, and, and turns around. And, and when her mother hears the scream, she turns around as, as well and realizes what she's been doing. And so the, the girl, whenever she, by the time she turns around, she sees her mom spraying her with a water hose. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and then they both look at me. And the little girl's face is one of just utter shock. It's, it's this word, how? How could this woman do this to me? And uh, I'm laughing. <laughs> Neither one of them are laughing. But that, that girl's face is a, this face of, of utter shock at betrayal. Wasn't funny to her. And maybe it's not funny to you this morning as well. You, you know what betrayal from those whom you love feels like. You've experienced the pain of a covenant vow being broken. Maybe over Christmas, someone did something, hurt you deeply, and you're still wrestling with that sorrow. One source of sorrow is, is reversal. Another source of sorrow is betrayal. Another source of sorrow we see in verse 3 is what I'm calling homelessness. Look what happens in verse 3. It's not just a physical homelessness, it's a, an emotional homelessness as well that many of you have felt. Judah has gone into exile. There's no home left for Judah anymore, the southern kingdom. She dwells now among the nations but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. There's no, there's no resting place, there's no home. Many of you felt that way over these last few weeks. You've been at places, and yet you, you haven't felt like you've belonged in some of those places. There's, there's been a, a sense of, I don't know where I'm supposed to be. I can remember whenever I was young and, and single in college, and, and just this feeling of, there's no place that I, I feel like I, I fit. Maybe that's you this morning. You feel very alone. Home is is used here figuratively as well, right? You, you, would, you would say there's no sense of belonging in your life and you feel restless, sorrowful. Another source of sorrow in, in verse 4 is sorrow. So sorrow begets more sorrow. Look at verse 4. The roads to Zion mourn, none come to the festival. All her gates are desolate. Priests groan, or virgins have been afflicted. She herself suffers bitterly. There's, there's sorrow upon tops of, of sorrow that the people are groaning. There's affliction, and, and sorrow can be a source of more sorrow. Health experts in the United States estimate that, well, that one out of ten people would say that they're, they're suffering from deep depression. And some of you know what that's like. Maybe you've experienced it perfectly, personally, these times of, of deep darkness and distress where it seems like there's no way out of these, these things you're feeling. And maybe you haven't experienced that, that personally or, or not for very long lengths of time, but you, you love someone. All of us have loved someone who, who goes through that. And there, there's, no, there, there's nothing we feel like we can do to, 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 to help them in that sorrow. And, and that sorrow begets more sorrow. Another source of sorrow are 
triumphant enemies. Look at verse 5. Her foes have become the head. Her enemies prosper because the Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone away captives before the foe. The, The enemy has taken that which is most precious, her children. And some of you know what that's like. Maybe not to this degree, of course, but you've seen those whom hate you succeed while you failed. It's a source of sorrow. It wasn't enough that your career that was on this trajectory hasn't gone the way you thought it would go. What's more is, is the, the person who, who worked to bring about your demise is now getting the promotions, is now being successful. It's, it's not enough that you didn't make a good grade on the test at school. What's worse is, that, is your greatest enemy is the one who is achieving success in school, the, the person who hates you, the person who's done all that they can to make your life miserable. And, and this morning you're, you're feeling sorrow because of that. Another source of sorrow here is a, a loss of status. Look at verse 6. It says, from the daughter of Zion, all her majesty has departed. The majesty has departed from Zion. And maybe that's where you're at this morning. You've had a position of, of, of some sort of status, and it's a God-given status, and, and now that status has, 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 has departed. That majesty is no longer there. You've lost status, and there's shame. And maybe, in fact, someone is intentionally trying to cause you shame and distress. And as you think about that this morning, you're, you're sad. You're sorrowful. And then a last category of, of sorrow that Jeremiah touches on is just painful memories. Look at verse 7. It says, Jerusalem remembers in the days of her affliction and wondering all the precious things that were hers from days of old. This isn't how things always were. Right now, where she is is not a pleasant place, and, and, and there's sorrow as she thinks about how things used to be, the days of old. And maybe that's true for you this morning. Remember that, there's that U2 song, Stuck in a Moment, and you can't get out of it. You're, you're here in this moment, and you can't stop thinking about how things used to be. I was uh, at the gym this last week, and I was talking to a guy. And he says, you know, I can, I can remember this moment where I, I, I pivoted, and, and, I, and I injured my knee. And I just wish I could go back to that moment. Instead of pivoting one way, I would pivot another, and my, you know, my athletic abilities would be back to where they were. And so many of us are in this moment right now, and we can go back to, to this other moment beforehand and say, okay, before that moment, things were so good. I can remember before this event happened, and, and before this event happened, all these things were good. Now I'm in these days, and there's just sorrow as we think about how things used to be. I was talking to my mom this, this past week. Uh, December 26th is the anniversary of my dad's uh, home going uh, four years this year. And, and December's just a tough, tough month for my mom. It's the, her birthday, wedding anniversary, Christmas, and then the anniversary of my dad's death. Just a lot to think about. And that's maybe true for, for you as well. There's painful memories that bring sorrow. Now, you say, Daniel, why, why do we go into all of this, right? These sources of sorrow, reversal, betrayal, loneliness, sorrow, triumphant enemies, loss of status, painful memories. Now, why do we do that? This is the complaint of lament. 
Sometimes I talk to Christians and they say, well, you know, I don't, I don't like talking about how things are sometimes not good because it, that feels like complaining. It feels like grumbling. We certainly do not want to grumble and complain. But there is nothing sinful about observing the fallenness of the, of the, of, of the world and telling God about it. In fact, it's a biblical thing to do, to say, okay, this is how the world is, and, and God, this is not good, and, and the, I, I feel sorrow about this. There's, there's an expression of, of grief that I, that I feel. I, I'm sorrowful about relationships that aren't the way that I want them to be. I'm sorrowful about some, some health circumstances that I'm going through. I, I'm sorrowful for the, the pain that my children are enduring. And so if you haven't done so already this morning, I would just encourage you to take a moment and think about what are the sources of sorrow, perhaps, for you? What's causing the heartache? And we don't just stop there and just kind of wallow in the grief. We don't just talk about how bad things are. But it's, it's an important first step to acknowledge the brokenness of the world. C.S. Lewis says this, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Sorrows in our life can be used by God to teach us important things. And that's the next thing I want us to talk about. The offensive origins. The offensive origins of sorrow. God didn't create the world sorrowful. The origin of, of sorrow is sin. I'll talk just briefly about verses 8 through 19 here. Some hard truths we need to grapple with as we think about sorrow. Some hard truths that, that we have to, to be careful to think about. Here, here's one. We need to remember that we are sinful and needy. Now, this is a hard thing to think about in the midst of, of pain. So we're going through a hard circumstance, and, and it, it, the last thing we want to do sometimes is to think about our own sin and need. But it's an important truth. We are sinful and needy. Look, look what the text says. Now, in this case, some of the grief that Jerusalem is undergoing is, is because of their own sin. And it's important to acknowledge that here. That's not always the case, and it's not always the case that the sorrow we're undergoing is because of our own sin. Sometimes it can be the sin of others or just living in a sinful, fallen world. But here, Jeremiah is very careful to acknowledge that, that some of the, the, their circumstances are, are due to their own sin. In fact, he highlights that. He says in verse 8, Jerusalem sinned grievously. You come down to, to verse 14. My transgressions were bound into a yoke. So, so what, I'm, what I'm undergoing right now and this, this yoke from the Babylonians is directly the, the product of my transgressions. Verse 18, he says, I've rebelled against the Lord's word. So it's very clear that Jeremiah recognizes the people are sinful and they're needy. That's an important thing for us to do. When we encounter our sorrows and see the sources of our sorrows. We acknowledge them to God, but as we do that, we, we think biblically about them and say, okay, one thing I need to realize is that I am a sinful and needy person. Some of, my, my, some of, the, some of the, the sorrows that I'm 
experience, you know, the result of my sin. Sometimes they're the result of other people's sin, but regardless of, of whose sin it is, I am in need. I don't have the capacity to, to deal with this on my own. That's one of the things that's, that lament should help us realize. As the, as the waves of life begin to, to crash over us, we recognize I don't have the ability to, to swim through these on my own. I can remember being a, a little boy in uh, the lake with my dad. We went to Greer's Ferry Lake in uh, uh, Heber Springs, Arkansas, and he taught me how to water ski. I remember my, my grandpa was driving the boat, and, and uh, I'm, just, I'm just a little guy, and so I put on one of those orange uh, life vests, and they, they throw me in the lake, and then my dad jumps in the lake with me, and, and I'm laying on the back, holding the the, the bar and having the, the rope go between these, these two heavy skis that I couldn't keep straight, and then the, you know, the waves and are kind of from the boats are kind of shaking me, and I, I can't hold everything together. Have you ever tried to water ski before? You know, it's just this, this mess of trying to get everything all lined up, and you're just a tiny little guy, and you can't hold all those things together. And I remember my dad just kind of being there in the, the water with me. And as the, as the kind of waves kind of tossed me, and as the skis went back and forth, and as the sharks that I was sure these freshwater sharks were in the lake, you know, dad's there to kind of protect me, you know, kind of holding everything together, right? Hold me together as a, before the boat kind of went off. That, that's what sorrow helps us realize. We, we need God to, to, to hold us, to sustain us. We see that we're sinful and needy. We also see then that God is sovereign over our circumstances. Look at verse 12 through 15. Jeremiah is very clear. He says, look, this was brought upon me. The Lord inflicted this on the day of his fierce anger, verse 12. He sent fire, verse 13. He made it descend into my bones. He spread a net for my feet. He turned me back. He has left me stunned, faint all the day long. He's caused my strength to fail, verse 14. The Lord gave me into the hands of those whom I cannot withstand. The Lord rejected all my mighty men in my midst. The Lord has trodden, he says in verse 15, as in a winepress, the virgin daughter of Judah. And so he's clear, look, these circumstances are not beyond God's control. God is, does not do evil, he's not the author of evil, and yet he appoints this evil. Sin, we also learn here, as we look at these verses, brings in the offensive origins of sorrow, sin brings judgment and consequences. Now for the believer, we know that there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. We're not, this here is a, this, in this passage is a picture of eternal judgment that's coming. We aren't going to experience that. But even as we see the pain that other people's sin causes, and we, we recognize that we should hate our own sin all the more. Now, this is a very hard thing to do. When we're in the midst of, of sorrow and we're expressing our sorrow to God, what should happen is we should say, okay, I'm, I'm experiencing this pain. Perhaps Perhaps you're being accused of something, maybe it's betrayal, it's the betrayal of a close family member. Your parents have done something terrible to you. And what happens in that pain, in that moment, is we can, we can say, okay, I, I recognize that this is a terrible thing. God, this is, this, I'm expressing this to you in complaint. This is not how the world is supposed to be. But as we do that, as we recognize the pain that, that sin causes, what should happen? 
It should cause us to be aware all the more of our own sin and for us to hate it with a greater passion. This is what gossip does. God, save me from gossip. God, this, this is what greed does. Save me from my greed because the same greed that I see in this person that's my oppressor, I see in my own heart as well. God, this is what slander does to someone. God, save me from it. God, this is what, this is what uh, abandonment does to a person's soul. Protect me from this sin. You are in the right in all that you do. Verse 18, the Lord is in the right. These are truths that we should, we should be driven to as we think about the offensive origins of sorrow and our sin. Which brings me to the last point I want us to consider this morning. That's the repentant response in verses 20 through 22. His words throughout this chapter by Jeremiah indicate a heart of repentance. He sees the destruction of sin and he desires to, to turn from it. He acknowledges the sin, he acknowledges the effects where it exists, and he says, look, O Lord, for I am in distress. He cries out to God for his help. He cries out to God for deliverance. In fact, notice the contrast between verse 19 and verse 20. He says, what I did in the past, like I called to my lovers, but they deceived me. My, my priests and elders perished in the cities while they, they sought in the city while they sought food to revive their strength. And he says, but then he cries out to God, look, O Lord, for I'm in distress. There's true repentance now. Instead of crying out to other human beings, he's now crying out to the Lord. Before we close, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians. And as you begin 2023, let me just encourage you to begin by repentance. We began the service this morning with a prayer of repentance. And let me encourage you to begin 2023 with repentance, with a turning from sin and turning to God. And as we think about that, I'm going to give you just a couple questions to consider from 2 Corinthians 7. In 2 Corinthians 7, Paul is talking about Godly grief and worldly grief. And, and they look the same. But one leads to death and one leads to life. It's one thing to be sad about sin. It's, it's a different thing to, be, uh, to have a godly sorrow over sin. He says in verse 10, Paul does, that godly grief produces a repentance. And so a sorrow that is a godly sorrow is going, as we think about not, not just the sin of others, but our own sin, there's going to be this, this lament, this sorrow that produces repentance. And as we, we think about sorrow and lament these weeks, I want to begin this week by encouraging you to have your sorrow lead to the fruit of repentance. And then he says in verse 11, he says, this is what the fruit of repentance looks like. He says, I know, that you're, I, know that you, I know that you had true godly grief. He says in verse 11, for see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, 
what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. There's seven words there that indicate that their repentance was true biblical repentance. The words are earnestness, eagerness, indignation, fear, longing, zeal, punishment. Let me encourage you to ask yourself these seven questions as you begin 2023 and think about the reality of sin in your own life. And you say, okay, am I, do I have a true biblical grief over my sin that's producing true repentance as I turn to God through faith in his son Jesus? Number one, question number one, are you earnest? Are you earnest in your desire to change? Do you really just want to not have people know about your sin? Or are you earnest to, to truly be a, a different person? Question number two, are you eager? Are you eager to have others look closely at your life? Paul says here, you, I, I saw eagerness in you. You were eager to, to, to show that you truly changed. And so a person who's truly repentant is going to say, look, I, I want you to look at my life, and I want you to hold me accountable, and I don't want to be a, diff, a different person. Are you, question number three, are you angry? Not are you angry that you got caught in your sin, but are you angry that you offended a holy God? Are you angry? Question number four, are you afraid? So there's fear. Are you afraid of what may happen if you continue in sin? You know what the consequences of sin are and you're fearful of those. Question five, are you longing? Are you longing to to restore relationships with others whom you have harmed in your sin? Are you longing to restore a relationship with your heavenly Father? Question six, are you zealous? Are you zealous in your pursuit of holiness? Would others who look at you say, boy, that, that person is, has truly changed. There's a zealousness to walk in greater, greater obedience to the Lord. Are you, question seven, are you avenging? He says, he says, um, punishment here in the ESV? Are, are, you, are, you, are you willing to make restitution? Are you avenging the wrong that you've done against others? Is there a restitution that you're willing to make, a, a self-punishment as you, not, not like, oh, I'm going to have to do these things to, to make other people forgive me, but a, a punishment. I'm, I'm willing to take the consequences of my sin. Every year, our family listens to Handel's Messiah on, on Christmas Day. Handel's Messiah, written in the 1700s, and it has these three movements where they, you know, we they sing all these Old Testament and some New Testament uh, words about Jesus. There's three movements. The, the first movement tells about Jesus' birth, as is prophesied, and then the second movement talks about the, 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 um, the, 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 the suffering of the Messiah, and then the third movement is about the resurrection and life and reign. But in that second movement, Lamentations is quoted. In that second movement where it talks about the suffering of Messiah, it's, the Messiah says these words, look and see if there's any sorrow like my sorrow. Jeremiah looks at the destruction that has been, that has been wreaked, the havoc that has been wreaked upon Jerusalem. He, he looks and he sees these, these bodies literally littering the streets. And it's beyond his ability to comprehend. It's beyond his ability to bear. He goes through the entire alphabet of grief and then does it again, and it's still not enough to, to express the totality of his grief and sorrow. 
you and I do not have the capacity in ourselves to, to deal with the affliction and the sorrows of this world, and certainly not with the ultimate consequences of sin. But Christ has done that for us. In our repentance, in our turning to God, what do we find? We're going to talk more about the character of the God who punishes next week. But we find here a God who is willing to forgive, a God who welcomes the repentant, a God who has provided his son Jesus Christ to bear the penalty and the suffering that you and I could have no hope of exhausting on our own. And so my encouragement to you this morning, if you've not already done so, is that you would begin 2023 by placing your faith the Lord Jesus Christ, receiving the fullness of his perfection, trusting in him and him alone for eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words. We recognize that, that lament is something you've given us to help us comprehend the horror of our sins so we would turn to you in repentance. And Father, I don't know that the sources of other people's sorrow this morning, but we recognize that all of our hopes and all of our confidence is found not in ourselves, but in you. And so we turn this morning to you in your kindness, perfectly aware that only you can forgive. Father, please forgive, please restore Please give us joy in you and in you alone. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.